The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. What's up, everyone? I want to tell you about a car that you are going to love. Check it out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, I love that, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. So let's say you're ready to take the family on a camping trip or something like that. The Santa Fe is perfect for you. You've got all-wheel drive. You can load everyone up in the third row. It's time to start being adventurous, and you need the right car, and that's the Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. What a play! Can you believe this? I had no idea. It's time to dominate your fantasy league. Now, here's some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, and Heath. We are going beyond the box score today. Welcome, everybody. Recording this on a Wednesday afternoon. You might be watching it on YouTube, youtube.com slash today. If you're listening in our podcast feed, happy Friday to you. Adam Azer here with, of course, ripped Jacob Gibbs, showing the traps again. And uh, Jacob, I feel like if you could play a fantasy league with only wide receivers, you would. I, I feel like wide receivers are definitely your favorite position. Is that true or false? No, it's definitely true. A long time ago, when I was like first getting into this, I made a dynasty league where it was all flex players, just so I could only use wide receivers. <laughs> really? That's that's. Weird. <laughs> I was ahead of, ahead of my time there. Well, we do have a couple of guests joining us today. We have Pat and Matt. We got Pat Fitzmorris, managing editor for Fantasy Pros and Betting Pros. Pat, welcome back to the show. How are you? Doing well, Adam. Thank you for having me. Always great to talk to you and Jacob, and maybe the other guy, too. <laughs> <laughs> that would be Matt Friedman. Uh, Pat, you can follow him at Fitz underscore FF. And Matt, you can follow at Matt F. The or the, am I saying it right? The oral, Oracle. There we go. I, oracle. Yes. Oracle. I typed yes. it in wrong. And I was like, wait, is it like a funny play on words or did I just make a typo? No, it's a typo at Matt F. The Oracle. Um, and uh, how you doing, Matt? Welcome to uh, Beyond the Box Score. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I would say, Jacob, uh, I would imagine based on the physical appearance that he would actually want to be in an IDP only when you just draft <laughs> linebackers. Just a whole bunch of muscular linebackers with really thick necks and a whole bunch of tackles. This is out of control. I wore a tank top last time to the podcast and it threw Adam and Dan for a loop like so hard that they just couldn't stop talking about it. So I think I'm just going to go every podcast the rest of the way. It's summer, baby. Never saw. I never, I never saw this coming. I never saw. <laughs> we even got coming. it even on Twitter, like Chris Towers talking about it. Like it's all over the place. Uh, Matt, would you like to, you know, uh, enlighten everyone on the professional announcement you just dropped on Twitter just before mm-hmm. coming on the show? 
Yeah, uh, for the next three hours or so, I am the director of content at Fantasy Pros and Betting Pros, but I, I am leaving the company. In related news, the company is hiring. They are looking to hire an analyst. Uh, you know, I've loved my time at Fantasy Pros. It's been a great place to work. Um, but, you know, I uh, I prefer to be an analyst as opposed to a director of content. Uh, and so I've had the opportunity to go to another place and, you know, be more of an analyst role. So I'm, you know, taking that opportunity, uh, but I am leaving fantasy pros with, I wouldn't say a, a fully heavy heart, but definitely with uh, some sadness. It, I mean, you know, I, I talk about it in my Twitter post has been an absolutely fantastic place to work and uh, you know, great people in the industry, great culture. So, um, you know, I'm very friendly with fantasy pros, even though I will be leaving. Now, Pat, what what are we gonna what are they gonna be missing? Tell us about about like a favorite story or something like yeah. that. Notice how he said not a fully heavy yeah. heart because he doesn't have to work with me anymore. Um, but no, I mean I'm going to miss working with Friedman tremendously. Uh, you know we're certainly gonna remain friends, and uh, I'm really only gonna be upset if he stops sending me photos of uh, beer menus at Belgian microbreweries as as he's fond of doing. So I can uh, you know be jealous of him as apparently like in in new england and new hampshire wherever he's living these days uh they've got like this stash of incredible microbreweries and you know here i am in wisconsin chicago uh up in the upper midwest where all the, the drinkers live and we don't have access to these kinds of uh microbreweries so very jealous you guys do have new glaris i will say we you, do. you have that within driving distance so if it's good enough for the uh the watt family i imagine it should be good enough for anyone else in the united states <laughs> uh well um you get to matt the good news is you get to be an analyst today starting right now so jacob we're going to be talking about our favorite wide receiver stats what they mean for you guys how you use them to evaluate players going into a season and in season for that matter and jacob where are we starting when we look at favorite wide receiver stats uh, yeah, I just want to say I'm so psyched to have analyst Friedman back. I didn't know what the new move was going to be into, but like that's very exciting for me as somebody who loves uh, all the stats and analysis he puts out on Twitter. Uh, super psyched to have both these guests on. Um, to talk about wide receiver stats, specifically like some of the more advanced stuff, and I kind of want to use these guys because they're two of the smartest guys that I follow on Twitter and uh, interact with. Um, as we analyze this as a litmus test on some of these stats. Um, and so Pat mentioned these, like, I, I don't go quite as deep into the event stats as you, which is like, yeah, you sh probably shouldn't. Um, <laughs> but, but I'm like excited to have uh, different perspectives on it. I think Pat like is excellent at what he does. Like he's been somebody that I consistently cannot catch in the rankings contest. Um, Pat, you won within the last couple of years, right? Uh, 2020, 2020 uh, yeah. won the in-season contest. Uh, the yeah, just, uh, I guess I ran pure that year. But <laughs> yeah, normally um, happy to be in the top 25 most years. Just want to just want to stay in the national rankings. I don't I think guess. I've seen. But, um, yeah. I don't think I've seen Jacob was consistent. receiving votes. Jacob was others receiving votes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm always trying to catch him. So like, I want to know Pat's, like his magic formula here because I've been, I haven't seen anyone as consistent as him in the rankings contest. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk about per route data. That's something that we mentioned a lot. Um, we're going to talk about, uh, red zone data, end zone targets, all that good stuff. Um, I wanted to start with Matt. He brought up a good point, um, that 
when I sent him over the stats we're going to talk about, he's like, we, we didn't mention route rate. And route rate is something that is so important to bring up, especially if we're talking about tight ends, but at wide receiver as well. Um, some of these guys that are only stuck playing in the slot don't get as many routes, as many opportunities as other guys. And so their per route data looks really good. And this is something that we talk about a lot, all this per route data and get all excited about it. Uh, but they have to get on the field first. Um, and so I, Matt, you had a couple guys you wanted to bring up. I think JSN and Kadarius Tony. Um, was there anybody else you wanted to talk about on the just like playing time side of things before we get into the per out stuff? Yeah, I mean, I guess he uh, is basically the flip side to the Kadarius Tony coin, but also uh, Sky Moore, you know, yeah. like, but basically guys who are who are slot wide receivers and their offense um, is multiple enough to the, uh, the degree where you do see a number of heavy sets. And you can also see this with the 49ers quite a bit. Not that they have a number three wide receiver really worth talking about, but they play a lot with a fullback. They play a lot with two tight ends. And so, uh, you know, in the, in the old days of like, you know, eight to 10 years ago, you know, people were just kind of starting to think about um, stuff of like target share, you know, like market share of targets and thinking in kind of a more advanced analytics way when it comes to, to targets and opportunities. Um, and I would say that, uh, route rate is kind of an extension of that where you're thinking about volume, you're thinking about opportunities, you know, like it used to be like, Oh, how many snaps does this guy play? But you know, the snap data, it's important. It doesn't matter as much as the route data. Like how many routes is this guy running? Or if you're thinking about the number of dropbacks a quarterback has during the game, how many of those total team dropbacks is this guy on the field and running a route? And it's much more important for tight ends, but it's still pretty important for wide receivers, especially those guys who play in the slot. Okay. Yeah. So, right. So, you know, I think the best thing to do guys is if there's, if there's a specific player that we really want the, let's not bury the lead, I guess, like just mm-hmm. tell us. Um, so is there a specific player? I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned Sky Moore, Kadarius, Tony, and did you say JSN Jacob? Yeah. I mean, we've heard rumblings that they're going to maybe use more three receiver sets. But we don't know. We don't know until the season starts. And I think the reason we bring up Rod to, to yeah. start this off with is just such an important from a projection standpoint, when you're laying the groundwork, like how many, we can get excited about these players, but how many plays will they actually be out there? Um, it was an issue right. for Jerry Judy early in his career. There's lots of examples. Um, I, I wonder if like Elijah Moore, if they're going to actually go to more three receiver sets or not in Cleveland, like how much he's going to be on the field. Um, yeah. So just guys that get kind of stuck in slot um, type roles. Sky Moore is definitely somebody that I'm concerned about. He rarely was used on the outside um, during his rookie season. It was all like slant stuff um, right around the line of scrimmage stuff, just like design touches because his route, he wasn't very refined. Well, and I would yeah. say on the flip side of that would be someone like Gabriel Davis. Not that yeah. I want to be like the Gabriel Davis stand this year, because, you know, in retrospect, we were way too high on him this year. But he's going to be a guy who's out there like running 100 percent of the routes every yeah. game, you know, because he's just on the perimeter island. They don't play him in the slot, but he's got his role out wide and he's going to be in a, a high scoring, very functional offense. So like he's a guy that you look at uh, route rate and you can say like, oh, this is someone who's going to have significant opportunities this year whether he capitalizes on it or not that's a different thing but he's going to have the opportunities yeah uh let me ask you i guess matt i'll start with you about sky Moore and Kadarius tony what is it that you want us to know from a route standpoint about those guys uh matt is he breaking up for you guys yes oh, okay yeah. Uh, yeah, I just think it's important to start with the route data stuff um because like you brought up with gabe davis like 
they're running so many routes. Uh, the Tampa Bay guys are ones that always stand out as not having good per route data, um, but they run so many routes that they have in the past. And so as we dive into this discussion and focus on the per route data, it's just important to have this baseline. Um, so I think let's just go ahead and start with the per route data and start with the uh, yards per route run. I think in terms of publicly available efficiency metrics, yards per route run is at the top. Would you guys agree with that? It's pretty easy to find. Yeah, I would I would agree with yes. that. And there's granularity with it in terms of kind of how you look at it, uh, mm. timeframes, uh, you know, position groups, stuff like that. But just as kind of like a one-stop metric, yeah, that's probably the best one out there. Yeah, and that's what we're here to, to do today is contextualize it. So the first thing I wanted to bring up, um, I've have just seen really excellent research on, on this from Hayden Wings. It's been something that's been covered a little bit here and there, um, but I think it's really important to bring this people's attention um, when talking about yards per route run, as we dig into it more, as it becomes more normalized, formation heavily affects yards per route run. Um, so this is going to be the yards per route run average by the number of wide receivers on the field. Just to illustrate this, with one wide receiver on the field, the average is 2.01. With two or fewer wide receivers on the field, it's 1.9. And then with three or more, that 1.9 drops all the way to 1.41. Um, that's where we see the significant drop-off is from two to three. And so there's teams, there's offenses that are using a ton of two receiver formations and not going to three receiver formations as often. And the wide receiver yards per run data really gets out of control with some of these guys. You've probably seen on Twitter, if you're plugged into fantasy football at all, you've probably seen people talk about Rashid Shahid and his ridiculous per route rates. But he's playing in an offense, and this uh, this applies to Chris Alave as well, um, where the per route efficiency really gets out of control. I think the best team, the best example recently to illustrate this is Corey Davis two years ago. Do you remember his insane rates? Yeah. On the, his last year on the Titans, he was fourth in yards per route run. And so that was the first time I really started hearing people like really push back on yard per route run data and be like, Corey Davis is clearly not a top five wide receiver in the league, not even close. Um, and so I just wanted to bring up that point that like there's a huge drop off from two to three. Um, I was curious if you guys have heard that before. Um, and then we've got a few specific player examples to talk about with it. I mean, I was aware of it, but I didn't know quite exactly what the difference was. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's interesting to see things like the the drop uh, in Jalen Waddle's yards per yeah. out run from two to three receivers. But at the same time, his number is really good with three receivers. Yeah. So, my uh, you know, like it doesn't concern me that, oh, this guy only pops when he has two receiver sets. I mean, like Jahan Dotson's splits are a little more concerning, mm -hmm. but at the same time, I mean, Dotson only played what, 12 games last year. So I'm, I'm hoping that can maybe be attributed to a, a relatively small sample size. Yeah. Miami is the, the place to start with your route run data. We got absolutely insane stuff from Tyreek Hill last year and Jalen Waddle was third in the NFL. Um, only Justin Jefferson and Tyreek had a higher yard per route run rate than him last year. And so when you start to like place him on list of other young receivers, to have done the things that he has done. He looks like one of the best dynasty assets out there. Um, but the offense that he played in really boosted things um, at an insane degree. So uh, Tyreek Hill averaged 3.8 yards per out run um, with two or fewer receivers on the field. That dropped to 2.9 with three or more. Jalen Waddles was at three, dropped to 2.4. Um, and then you brought up the Washington guys. John Dotson, uh, 0.98 yards per out run with three or more wide receivers on the field. It's just... I think you are right to like, it's not going to be that low um, with a better offense um, and a larger sample size, but we definitely did see some of these guys. Chris Alave particularly is somebody he gets put on these lists historically, um, but like his numbers did drop a lot from 
two to three wide receiver sets. Um, but on the flip side of that, we'll see more three receiver sets probably um, in New Orleans this year. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to bring this up and kind of introduce this topic and see what you guys thought about it because I don't hear this brought up a whole lot with your right run data. It's important to contextualize it. Yeah, I think it's, um, it is important to contextualize it, but I think the contextualization isn't as um, important year to year as some people would maybe expect. So let's think back to Corey Davis and the example mm-hmm. you mentioned of, of him being awesome in his final season with the Titans. And a lot of that, you know, they were in two tight end sets. He's the dominant wide receiver on the field. And then him going to a different system where they use more three wide receivers, a, a totally new situation for him. In that situation, I think the context is really important. Mm-hmm. But in a situation where we might have a lot of continuity year to year, then I think it's not quite as important. So if you think, okay, same offensive coordinator, same quarterback, a lot of the same personnel, then the contextualization doesn't matter so much because the the big overall number of yards per route run, that will probably be stable. And also something that I think is worth thinking about with the two wide receiver versus three wide receiver splits is that for some of these guys, say like Jahan Dotson, he's a smaller guy. Right. Rashid uh, Shahid is also a smaller guy. But what you see is that when they're in two wide receiver sets, they are on the outside. And mm-hmm. so one of the big concerns with someone like Jahan Dotson entering the NFL was would he be a slot only player? And so I think even though he's being funneled the ball more into wide receiver sets because he's just you know one of the two wide receivers out there. They're more prone to throw to a wide receiver versus a tight end. What's encouraging is that he is actually winning in a really strong way on the outside. And so I think that that could carry over to three wide receiver sets uh, a little more for the future. And I would say the same with uh, Rashid Shahid, the same with Chris Olave. When they are winning on the outside in uh, two wide receiver sets, I think that speaks well to their overall future, their ability to be mm-hmm. able to uh, produce when three wide receiver sets moving on. Yeah, I love all that. Adam, welcome back. Can you hear us? Hey, thanks. <laughs> I love all that. I, I'm really glad that you brought up those distinctions because, yeah, the, the point here isn't to um, – suggest that um chris lave is overrated necessarily or anything like that or that this is a negative for him going forward it's more just to like put it in perspective like that his rates are inflated so when you're measuring them relative to other young wide receivers or whatever exercise you're doing using the arparat run data um from a dynasty perspective like it is worth knowing that they're inflated i don't know if people would have thought that about chris Olave just because of the offense that he plays in um because it's not as extreme of an offense as like the tennessee that we're talking about with Corey davis you know um, let me ask you guys a question. How much do you care about rookie stats? Um, you know, yards per route run and all those things as rookies. I mean, especially if you talk about a guy like Jahan Dotson, he's going to have a new quarterback this year. I like to have, I mean, my my sort of, okay, as, as I've gotten further into advanced stats for any position, any stat, I like to get two years of data before I consider it a trend. Um, mm-hmm. Like Najee Harris being really bad basically, is now two years. And I'm kind of thinking, this guy's just not a very good running back. Um, but for one year, you know, um, how much weight do you put into that? Pat, I'll go, I'll go to you first. You know, rookie advanced metrics, how much salt do we have to, how many grains of salt do we need to take it with? 
Yeah, a few. I think, Adam, I, I am kind of with you. Like, I, I like to maybe give it a couple of years for things to sort of normalize uh, a little bit. And, you know, we saw those stark uh, two and three receiver set splits with Jahan Dotson. So it's kind of hard to get a, a read on him, especially with sort of a truncated season due to injuries. Um, you know, he flashed, but I don't think we know the, the true level of his water just yet. So um, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I get a little cautious about like, I don't know, I guess I tend to believe my eyes more with the rookies than I do with the numbers. Matt. Yeah. I, I'm going to echo what Pat said. Um, I think a sufficient time frame is really needed and maybe more than the time frame, just like the number of reps, like the number of snaps, the number of routes, the number of targets. And, you know, like I'm mentioning their volume stats versus efficiency stats, like, especially in in fantasy, but I would just say also, you know, just in general for these guys, volume is what really matters. And, you know, it makes me think back to like Devontae Adams, who was not that good of a player, especially not an efficient player his first two years in the league. But the one thing you could point to was that he was still consistently being targeted within the flow of that offense. And so I, I do think that more than the efficiency stats, the volume stats for, uh, the rookies, the second-year wide receivers, those are the things that we can really point to. If a guy is getting targeted consistently, I think at some point the efficiency tends to catch up unless he's just really bad. And then if that's the case, then the volume tends to crater pretty quickly because the people who are hands-on with him every day in practice on the field, they just can, can, they can get the sense of like, this is not a guy that we want to have incorporated into the offense. Yeah, so Jacob, before we go to any other statistics here, is there are there any players, I'm sorry if I missed this while I was <laughs> off in non-internet land, um, any players you want to highlight in terms of yards per route run? Uh, any like I, Other than the you know the two receiver versus three receiver stat, but, stat, but anything else you want to highlight, Jacob? Any players that need to be discussed here? And did we lose Jacob? <laughs> wow. CBS at its best. Sorry, guys. How about you guys, Matt, Pat, any players you want to highlight in terms of this particular statistic? And, uh, you know, you can piggyback on what you were just talking about, Matt, with guys who are getting a lot of volume and maybe the next Devontae Adams, anything like that? Uh, I'm going to kick this to Fitz because one guy that I think stands out in yards per route run, uh, you know, and on uh, this kind of this like time frame of being a rookie entering his second year, Christian Watson. And I think, you know, there's reason for enthusiasm with what we saw. I mean, totally dynamic on the field. At the same time, you know, new quarterback. Uh, and it feels like there could be some Martavis Bryant flukiness a little bit to some of the production that we saw. Um, so Fitz, do you have any thoughts on Christian Watson? Man, I don't. I do not want to hear the uh, Martavis Bryant comp for that. As a, a Green Bay Packers fan myself, but um, yeah, I mean, like as uh, when Jacob and I were discussing all this backstage, I mean, he sort of mentioned that it was impressive the um, target share that Watson was able to get when he was running um, deeper routes downfield, and like sort of uh, the fact that he was able to put up a pretty good yards per route run number despite running these deeper routes. Um, you know, high efficiency at a, a high average depth of target is really impressive. Um, so I'm I'm definitely cautiously optimistic with him. 
although the quality of the targets being delivered to him by Jordan Love is probably going to tell the tale uh, quite a bit in 2023. And um, I don't know, Adam, like one other guy, I I feel like I'm, I'm just bowled over when I see the yards per route run number over three is Tyreek Hill. And the fact that he was able to do it after changing teams and, you know, not that Tua Tungavailoa was any slouch last year. He was pretty terrific. But to do it coming from working with Patrick Mahomes to having no established chemistry with with Tua and to be able to put up the numbers he did uh, and just have that sort of freakish efficiency is just mind boggling. Yeah. I love that Hill has kind of reinvented himself a little bit. You know, his last season with the Chiefs, I think, maybe his last two, he went from a high ADOT guy to a lower ADOT guy, from a non-PPR standout to more of a PPR standout. doesn't matter. As long as he's getting the ball, he's amazing. But I want to ask you this as Jacob's backer. I want to ask you this about Christian Watson because I think we all would be really excited about Watson if Aaron Rodgers were back as his quarterback. But in the last eight games of the season— Watson was a top 10 wide receiver. He was top 10 per game. He was number five per game in half PPR, number nine per game in full PPR. There were some rushing numbers in there, but he still, I think, was top 12 if you remove those. Um, Aaron Rodgers in those eight games, he averaged 200 yards per game. He averaged only 28 pass attempts per game, but 200.5 passing yards per game. He was on pace for 3,408 yards, 26 touchdowns, 11 interceptions in 17 games. So, it wasn't like he had amazing quarterback play. I know Rodgers last year, I would still expect, even though it wasn't a great year, still expect him to be better than Jordan Love. But I like the fact that Watson, Pat, was able to be a top 10 wide receiver with a guy who was throwing for 200 yards per game and like one and a half touchdowns per game. Does that give you more hope about what he can do with Jordan Love? It does. Yeah, put into perspective of the lower pass volume that the Packers yeah. were, uh, you know, that was the the shape of their offense last season. And, uh, you know, that he was still able to pop given those constraints. It's encouraging for sure. All right, Jacob, let's take a break. And when we come back, you tell us where we're going next. You're driving the car today. You tell us which advanced metric we're going to talk about next. We'll be right back on Fantasy Football Today. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, Jacob Gibbs, what's uh, what's coming up? Oh, um, I feel like Kadarius Tony over here, man. Like the production has been great when we're here, but we just can't stay on the field. I don't know if we can trust his, these per route rates or not. Did you guys talk about Jerry Judy at all? Because like I feel like his yard, yeah, I feel like his yard per route run rate really surprised me. Um, and I do a measure where I like uh, measure the yard per route run rates for wide receivers relative to their uh, wide receiver teammates from every offense. And he stood out as having one of the best 
discrepancies there as well. It was a really bad offense, um, and he was really productive. And that's something we've seen throughout his career. Um, and you talk about Tyreek Hill being able to play different roles. We've seen that from Judy as well, different quarterbacks, different types of roles, short, A dot, long A dot. He's been pretty dang efficient. Um, and I just wonder like what the ceiling really is if Sean Payton's offense produces in the way that we've seen Sean Payton offenses produce. Um, and he maintains the per route rates that we've seen throughout his career. I think he's one of the best examples of a per route rate um, use case because he's been injured and on and off the field. But when he's been there, he's been targeted at a high rate always. Yeah. Uh, who do you, you want? Matt, why don't you discuss Jerry Judy, who was on a per game basis, number 22 last year, wide receiver 22, but he missed he left early in three games. Or he barely played and had 76 yards on eight targets in those three games. If you were to take those out, he averaged almost 16 PPR points per game, which would have put him in the top 15. Uh, your thoughts, Matt, on Jerry Judy? Yeah, Judy is encouraging based on what we've seen out of him. Uh, he can play inside. He can play outside. So, you know, I think that means he's always on the field, no matter it's two wide receiver set, three wide receiver set. The thing that is a little bit discouraging about him is that like Russell Wilson, as bad as he was last year, like he might actually be, I mean, I can't say he's going to be worse, but like, I don't think he's going to be significantly better. Now that's just me sort of projecting Russell Wilson. So I don't see the offense as a whole being significantly better. And then with the addition of Marvin Mims, there could be better target competition that Jerry Judy is having to, to deal with. Um, we could see Dulcich, the tight end, progress in his second season. So I think just in terms of trying to have a projection, what Judy did in the past is really good. I honestly don't know how predictive it is of what we're going to see out of him for the future. Pat, would you rather have Jerry Judy or DJ Moore? For this year, I think Jerry Judy. Jacob, how about you? Yeah, it's clearly Judy for me. Moore was somebody who I wanted to bring up um, because his yard per run rate dropped last year. It was at 2 and then 2.2 and then 1.9 in previous years. Last year was at 1.75. Obviously, it wasn't a good offense, um, but that's been the case for a while. And he's going to an offense where yards have been really hard to come by. Um, Chicago's wide receivers averaged 1.2 yards per run last year. Darnell Mooney led the team with a 1.5 rate. Um, so that's like way, way below what we've seen Judy do. Um, and even when I measured his discrepancy relative to his teammates, he really didn't stand out. Um, Carolina ran a ton of two receiver sets last year. So the yard per hour run rates overall were stronger than you might expect. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Like I really, really struggle when projecting him in Chicago with the volume that we're expecting. If the yardage efficiency drops off and the touchdowns probably aren't going to be there. Um, I think he's one of the most overdrafted players right now. And I'm really excited for Judy. Yeah, volume, I think, has to be a concern for more. But at the same time, um, as far as efficiency, like I'm optimistic that maybe Fields can help because I know that in uh, in Baker Mayfield's six starts in Carolina last year, uh, DJ Moore's yards per out run was like 102. Yeah, it was absolutely in the tank. So um, like I, I feel like Fields has to be better for him uh, than Baker Mayfield was and, and hopefully at least as good as Sam Darnold was. For uh, you know, for all the knocks on Sam Darnold, he was a pretty effective delivery mechanism for DJ Moore when they played together yeah. in Carolina. Yeah, he was. And you know, with Fields, the the people the the comparison is going to be 
Well, Josh Allen got Stephon Diggs, and he broke out. Mm-hmm. Jalen Hurts got A.J. Brown, and, and the second year of Devontae Smith, and he broke out. Does anybody see that happening for Justin Fields as a passer? Or anything close? Matt's shaking his head. It doesn't have to be like MVP mm-hmm. level. But <laughs> what do you think, Matt? What do you project from Justin Fields this year? I think it's going to be something close to the same in terms of what we saw last year. Um, you know, they still have the same head coach and sure they've given him more weapons. He should progress a little bit more. The offensive line is better, but I still believe, and I will say I was super optimistic on Justin Fields entering the NFL. I was optimistic on him entering his second season. I actually had a 150 to one MVP ticket on, on Justin Fields to win MVP last year. That obviously didn't happen. So, but like I, I am optimistic on what he can do in the NFL in general, but I think he's going to be a little bit more in the Lamar Jackson mold where he's always going to be looking to run a little bit more and not going to be quite the pocket passer that I hoped he would be. And I think that's going to have a really big impact on all of the receiving weapons that he has. So for fantasy, if you're looking to invest in the bears, I think it's only Justin Fields and then basically fading everybody else. Totally agree. Yeah. I I'm glad that you brought up the MVP ticket. Cause it's like, yeah, we want these guys to succeed. We're really excited about Justin Fields. We all love DJ Moore. I just don't think the math adds up for him. I like Khalil Herbert. I know he's not a, a pass catcher, but I <laughs> we were talking about him. He's being drafted at like 120th overall or something like that. I think um, that's a little bit too late. Uh, Jacob, can we talk about air yards? I know we're going to run out of time. I probably won't be able to get to everything on, on your in your notes here. I know you spent a lot of time on these, and I apologize for that. But air yards, ADOT, route depth, those types of things. What do we need to know about that? Yeah, no worries about not getting everything. We didn't expect the... Uh two Wi-Fi crashes in one one podcast stream. I, I um, did, unfortunately. I think we're doing our best. Yeah, so air, air yards are important, and average route depth and average depth of target are important. These are all things we're just using to contextualize the bigger picture for what's happening with these guys. Where are these yards per hour run rates coming from? Um, and so the first thing I'd bring up that is that fantasy points per target go up, um, notably as air yards go up. Um, even in full PPR, which, you know, more intuitively might – favor shorter targets and high catch rates. Um, we have 1.9 PBR points on targets that came five or fewer air yards. Um, five to 10 air yards is two. 10 to 15 air yards is 2.2. And then more than 15 air yards is worth 2.6 PBR points per target. So wow. they are important. I know a lot of people like to um, get mad about air yards, which I don't really understand, um, but that still happens all the time. But I like- hate air yards, Jacob. <laughs> No, I do. I do. I'm surprised at what you said because I I don't like a very high A dot. You yeah. know, uh, like I think Kyle Pitts, his A dot was over 13. I think it was almost 13.8 yards. I feel like it's a little bit too high, especially from PPR because you know it's harder to catch passes. So I am yeah. I am surprised at the statistic you just gave. The correlation is strong too. The correlation between targets and PPR points is 0.92, which is really really strong. Um, for air yards, it's 0.808. Um, so that's still really strong. It's not as high as targets, but it's close. Um, yeah, I think it's important to bring up that there are outliers. There are people like Pitts where if it gets too high, it is it is a, a riskier like week-to-week proposition. And you run the risk of you know not reaching anywhere near the top of their um, potential range of outcomes. But the fact is having these air yards raises that um, potential range of outcomes and gives someone like Kyle Pitts access to just immense fantasy potential. 
All right, so who do you want to highlight in your air yards discussion? Let's just start with Pitts. Yeah, um, the risers, his average depth of target rose from 11 to 13.8 last year, which is like way, way higher than anyone at tight end. Um, and with that, he accounted for 45% of the air yards went on the field, which is one of the highest rates of the, anyone in the league, not just tight ends. Um, and I just, I, I want to hear what people think about Pitts, these two particularly, because I think that they keep a very level approach to how they do this. Whereas I like look at these numbers and bang my head against the wall. I'm like, he's got to do it. He's got to be better. So like, I'm very curious to hear what Pat and Matt think. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of with Adam on this stance where I think 13.8 is just a, a ridiculously high, too high a dot for a tight end, especially when it's Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter trying to get you the ball, which was why we've seen so many um, highlights of just, you know, comical misses by Marcus Mariota overshooting Kyle Pitts by three yards on a, a deep ball down the seam or um, yeah. So like, I want to see something closer to what we're seeing uh, on the screen right now with Pat Fryermuth and his 8.3 yard average depth of target. Like unless those targets are coming from a pinpoint passer like Patrick Mahomes or maybe Aaron Rodgers, um, you know, I, I kind of want to see a more modest a dot from my tight ends. I want to add some context to the the conversation. So a couple of things. So one, um, like average depth of target is a, uh, I wouldn't say there's like selection bias there, but there is a little bit where the quarterback generally is not going to throw the ball as deep downfield if the guy, um, the receiver doesn't have maybe as much separation as the quarterback would feel comfortable with. So I like, I can see why, uh, even though it's counterintuitive, players who were targeted further down the field uh, actually do have uh, more PPR points on a, like a per target basis because the quarterback is making the choice to throw to them when they are open further down the field. Uh, So that's one component of this. The second is Kyle Pitts specific. Uh, I love Kyle Pitts. Um, I don't know how I feel about him for this year, but like as a talent, uh, I think he is up there and the 13.8 ADOT, like you could say that's concerning for a tight end, but the guy is basically a wide receiver in terms of his skill set. And over the past two years, when he's lined up on the perimeter, which yes. is where you would expect to see him have the higher ADOT versus when he's lined up in line or in the slot on the perimeter, he has still been one of the most efficient pass catchers in the NFL. So the high ADOT doesn't concern me in general, because I think he has the skill set to carry it. The high a dot does concern me within the context of his offense and the quarterback or quarterbacks throwing to him this year. And I also think even though there's no way that the, uh, the Falcons will be as run heavy this year as they were last year, they're still going to be one of the most run heavy teams in the NFL. So I think like Kyle Pitts dynasty, I would still be very desirous to uh, to acquire him in that format this year. Although potentially he could be a buy low candidate, I'm still a little bit too skeptical of his offensive environment. But the A dot absolutely doesn't concern me. Yeah, he straight up like is a wider series fifth in yards per run from the perimeter um, since entering the league. Um, so that's comparing him to other perimeter receivers like Justin Jefferson and stuff like that. Um, I have a crazy cop. It's that when on the field last year, he accounted for 32% of Atlanta's targets and 42% uh, 
of their air yards. So that was higher than any tight end. Travis Kelsey's at 29% of the targets for reference. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to revise my statement. I do think he's a decent buy low candidate this year yeah. because he doesn't he's not anywhere close to where he was last year in terms of what you have to pay to acquire him. Yeah. Who's Those your, are, Who's your tight end 3? Just I know this is an advanced metrics. This is not an advanced metric question, but um everyone's going to have the same one and two, I think. Who's tight end 3 for you guys? I've got Hawkinson right now. Yeah, I've got Hawkinson too, but I think I might move. I might convince myself to move it up to Pitts. Just talk myself into it with all these stats. Yeah, there's so yeah. much upside there compared to Hawkinson. So he like has a if, lot more upside than Hawkinson. If he hits anywhere near the top of his range of outcomes, it's like changing your season. Whereas Hawkinson is not giving you that unless he's an injury to Jefferson. Yeah, I have Hawkinson three, and Pitts is a very close number four, and I might flip them because I do think that Pitts has the upside. Like you know, Jacob mentioned, the A dot gives him a really wide range of outcomes where he could just have like if he hits with that high A dot, he could have league winning potential, especially now where you have to uh, where where you are able to get him versus the price that he had last year. So yeah, Pitts, I think it's it's three four for me. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to have much TJ Hawkinson if he stays as tight end three, because I think there are about five guys that could be tight end three. And I'd rather just wait. Um, yeah. Uh, can we talk about the fallers? Or do you want to keep stay on that? The ADP, the ADOT uh, fallers, like Michael Pittman, those guys, Jacob? Yeah, I think Michael Pittman is worth bringing up. His ADOT went way down. It was all the way at 6.5 yards when Matt Ryan was at QB, compared to 9.7 yards during his breakout. That's a massive drop off. And Anthony Richardson had the highest average depth of target of any of the rookie quarterbacks. Um, we don't know how accurate those deep throws are going to be, but I do think we're going to see him used down the field a lot more. Um, and he's been more efficient when in that role. Um, the other guy I wanted to bring up was Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase's average depth of target draft from 12.6 yards to nine yards um, in year two. And we saw as a direct result that he was targeted way, way more often in year two. And this is exciting. This is like where we're seeing him step into the wide receiver one role. Um, something I tweeted all the time, after his rookie season was that T Higgins was actually better um, even at producing fantasy points when both players were on the field and he was definitely better at drawing targets. Um, but we are seeing Jamar step into a clear wide receiver one role where he's, he's more emphasizing the offense. They're running screens to him. They're running all these slants and short um, yardage targets. We didn't see in year one as a result, he was less efficient. Um, he didn't have as many of these long ones break as he did in year one. Um, so he's significantly less efficient on his routes. Um, but I'm just curious what you guys think. If he has the potential as his target rate increases, just given what we've seen from him from an efficiency standpoint, if he has potential to be wide receiver one just easily this year. Yeah. I mean, I think it's encouraging that um, maybe we saw that little bit of a drop. So he wasn't just uh, the lid lifter and was running uh, a fuller complement of routes. I, I do wonder if maybe a little bit of that wasn't related to the troubles the offensive line was having. Like Cincinnati sort of rebuilt their offensive line in the offseason last year. Um, they made personnel upgrades, but it took a little time to consolidate all the new talent on the offensive line. And like Joe Burrow's sack rate was sky high, I recall, like in the early weeks of the season. And, and maybe just um, the fact that he had to get the get rid of the ball a little more quickly than he would have liked. So I, I think that might account for, you know, some of the drop, but, um, you know, maybe it is also just a, a conscious effort to get Chase the ball more often. Yeah, I think with Jamar Chase, part of it was also defense is playing them a little bit different from year one to year mm -hmm. two. And so the Bengals making the sort of Chiefs-like adjustment yeah. in terms of how they run their offense. And so, uh, as you mentioned, 
Jacob, you know, the loss in ADOT was more than counterbalanced by the uh, increased volume that he saw. So no worries with Jamar Chase. It's just showing that like he can win down the field and he can win in more of the intermediate area. With Michael Pittman, I am I'm a little bit ambivalent or uncertain about mm-hmm how the a dot will change for him because with the addition of alex pierce like pierce has that downfield skill set where Pittman no longer needs to function in that capacity and now that they have josh downs who can be kind of that slot receiver who's a little closer to the line of scrimmage i have the feeling that maybe Pittman is just kind of locked in a little bit more to that intermediate area of the field uh and given that he's playing with a rookie quarterback a mobile quarterback I just think we're going to see an offensive environment that's it's not going to be as bad as it was last year, but it's not going to be as good as it would be if it were just another veteran, like, I don't know, like Kirk Cousins or something like another veteran coming in who's a established pocket passer who can deliver the ball to the guys in a manner that we can easily project. So I think there's a a wide range of what we could see out of Michael Pittman this year. Yeah, I agree. I, I I think intermediate is the right word. I just I'll, my point is it is not going to be anywhere near where it was last year. Six point yeah. five with Matt Ryan, six point nine. That's way too low. Like we're talking about Curtis Samuel, six point seven. <laughs> Amonra St. Brown, six point five. Paris Campbell, whoever next like is just a running back around the line of scrimmage, six point four in the same offense. Like just barely below Pittman. Um, I think it's going to come up a lot, and just that should help us efficiency. I I want to give us that. I don't have an updated stat on this, but this is about Jamar Chase, and I think we had two teams where we had wide receiver teammates finish in the top 16 last year. That would have been the Eagles and the Dolphins, and actually maybe the Bengals too. Um, but over the last seven years, there have been something like 16 or 17 teammate pairs who have both finished top 16. And the only time I think that we had a wide a number one overall wide receiver in those pairs was Jordy Nelson in like 2016. And he was wide receiver one in non-PPR. He was wide receiver two in full PPR. And my point is with Jamar Chase is I think T. Higgins is probably what prevents him from being wide receiver one. Usually, I mean, he's wide receiver two or three at worst, right? But wide receiver one is typically a major target hog, like alpha guy without serious competition. It's hard for me to say that when Chase was on pace for like 190 targets last year. Um, and per game, he was number three. But that was with the with the lower A dot. But you don't see a lot of guys finish as the number one wide receiver when they have someone as good as T. Higgins on their team. That's be my yeah. point. I've got a few things. First, Jordy Nelson was awesome. I'm so glad to bring him up in this <laughs> in this context. Um, I'm a little worried about T. Higgins. His per route rates really dropped last year, and I'm curious to gauge anyone else's feelings on that because, like, typically even though he's on and off the field and that bothers everyone, his per route stuff is really strong. And so that gives us continued optimism that when he's finally able to put together a full season, it'll be really good. Um, But last year it did drop off. And as we saw Jamar Chase elevate his game and his ability to draw targets, T Higgins kind of shrunk a little bit. Um, And I'm curious what we expect going into this next year. Cause I, I think it's entirely possible. He might fall out of the top 16 or top 20 number that you gave at him, which would allow Chase to be that wide receiver one. I think the point of like bringing up Kansas City's offense and how they adjusted to defenses relative to Chase is really um, a smart one. Like, I think it's very similar to what we've seen with Tyreek, where Tyreek was insanely efficient but never drew the targets. And then he moved into a shortened role and then he had that explosion here. And I think we could see something like that from Chase. 
But what are you seeing from Higgins? Because his yards per catch, yards per target, his A dot, his catch rate, almost identical. His 17 game pace, it, well, that's, I mean, I'm the guy who removes all the games where they leave with injury. And there were three of those for Higgins where it really kill his, his per game numbers. Uh, he had two catches in those three games. But like his those rates that are on pro football reference, those are all like exactly the same. But the, when you get into the advanced stuff, what do you see that concerns you about Higgins? The per targets are the same, but the targets dropped. The targets per route run, all those rates dropped. And so he wasn't drawing his targets as often. And so his yardage per route run stuff dropped as well. Um, and so like I think if the touchdowns aren't there and if he continues to not be targeted at the same rate, he's just not he doesn't project quite as well as some of the other guys who I think could step into a bigger role this year. Anyone else feeling that Pat, Matt? Yeah. I can't really explain the efficiency drop for Higgins. Like I, you know, he just, I, he wasn't targeted as much. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Jacob hit it there. You know, he just, he wasn't targeted as much because you had an already awesome wide receiver, uh, you know, progressing even more in his yeah. second season and the offense changing a little bit to where it's just easier to target Jamar Chase in the intermediate area of the field. So my guess, Jacob, is that he wasn't targeted as much on a per-route basis, but on a per-game basis, per full game, like not the three that he barely played, he was targeted as much because Burrow just threw the ball a lot more this year. He went from 520 pass attempts to 606 in 16 games each of the last two seasons. And that was probably, like, I don't know if that was like they were just throwing the ball shorter a lot more, not getting as many big chunk plays. So the target, maybe the target per route run went down, but the overall target's the same. Um, I, that's just my theory. And if they go back to throwing the ball downfield more, maybe they throw the ball less, but they have more splash plays, and he's part of that. I'm not really worried about it. I mean, I think he's really good. And just, so, deserve, I think he's like the easiest third-round pick. You know, like... I have more concerns about Devontae Smith than I do about T. Higgins, and they go back-to-back, basically, in ADP. Yeah. He just didn't have the upside to get to, like, a 30% target share. I actually do look at the, like, per-game stuff, and, like, he only got that in one of 13 healthy games. Did he get a 30% target share? Um, and that was something that he was getting before, and that's all that I'm saying. He got that 29% of his games the year before, four out of 14 healthy games, just one out of 13 last year. Um and I just think that, that that's what we're seeing is Jamar is starting to take over as the centerpiece. And there are games where Joe Burrow completely locks in on him and then T. Higgins isn't getting it as often. And just, I agree with you. Like, he's still probably going to see enough overall volume to be good for fantasy. I just haven't heard people talk about this very much. And I think it's important to bring up. I've seen Dwayne McFarland talk about it here and there and saying that really he, he profiles more as like a wide receiver three with upside than a wide receiver two where he's going. And really, this isn't even negative about T. Higgins. Ultimately, I was trying to be positive about Jamar Chase yeah. <laughs> because I think he does have the potential to take over as like a true target hog because there were times where it looked that way, where they were just going to him over and over and over. Yeah. Fair enough. I don't think, as long as Jamar Chase is on the field, T. Higgins does not have huge upside. Uh, definitely. I mean, we, it's funny because we just talked about this on the show we did earlier today and the numbers bear it out, you know. Uh, but it's like wide receiver 13 basically is kind of what, what he's been with Chase on the field the last two years, and that's kind of how I would rank him and draft him. Hmm. Yeah. All right, Jacob Gibbs, what else you got for us here? I'm sorry to hijack your show. Um, <laughs> or, yeah, what, where do you want to go to now? So Devontae Smith um, is kind of Jamar Chase light. His average depth of target came way down, the end, and it wasn't a change of 
average route depth, he was running a similar route tree. They were just throwing him way more screens. He went from four screen targets as a rookie to 21 last year. Um, they were using him in the slot and increased that motion more. And just overall, they were like really, really looking to get him the ball. From week 10 on, he actually out-targeted A.J. Brown. Um, so I, I just – I he's somebody – I wrote about um, splits versus man coverage, splits versus um, press coverage, and he really improved those from year one to year two as well. Um, everything about Devontae like, looks like he's legit, like legitimately a wide receiver one type of player. And he did all this with A.J. Brown, who – talk about per route data – Prior to last year, AJ Brown's route data was like, I'm Calvin Johnson. It was like better than anybody, any young receiver, better than Justin Jefferson, that kind of player. Like it was absolutely insane. And Devante, like he comes into the offense and Devante still was able to improve all of his per route data um, while being used in a completely different role, which I just thought was like unbelievably exciting. We've seen him succeed down the field. We've seen him succeed as a short guy. Um, so I just wanted to gush about Devante a little bit and see what people think about him. Yeah, yeah, just to follow up quickly on that. Uh, yeah, Devontae, he had a fantastic season. And this is one of those instances where a declining A dot is actually a good sign because mm -hmm. a guy is getting targeted so much. Uh, he's not being targeted just down the field. It's a sign that he's actually being targeted all over the field as like a, a legit playmaking wide receiver who's fully incorporated into the flow of the offense. Yeah. Uh, do you guys worry a little bit that things might change with, uh, you know, Shane Steichen no longer there, that um, maybe they uh, that offense doesn't run quite as efficiently? I mean, I, I love that they figured it out with Devonta last year because two years ago, I mean, the Eagles were running like a, a Big Ten team at, at that kind of rate and just running far too often. And like they really figured out how to unlock Smith last year. And, and like that was part of why their offense was so much more potent. But um, I know I'm a, a little bit worried that maybe things change, uh, you know, with the a different play caller. Thoughts on that, Matt? I feel like it, I've just thought like AJ Brown in the second year of the offense could step into the type of like something resembling the per route rates we've seen from him previously. And if he did that, it would just be almost impossible for Devontae to see the volume he did last year. Um, I haven't thought about the offense changing really. <laughs> I mean, okay, we would have to think that. In the ranges of outcomes for this offense, um, it is likelier than not that they regress if we're just thinking about how things tend to work. That yeah. said, Jalen Hurts has gotten better every single year of his career, like going back to college. And so there is still the, the possibility that Jalen Hurts could be an even better passer this year than he was last year. Um, and that can still be the case even with the offense regressing some, just like Jalen Hurts in general as a, a guy who navigates the pocket and moves through his progressions. He could be better this year. So I don't know if I'm taking that into account and then taking into account the, the probability of regression, I would say that we probably see Devontae Smith not play quite as well. Um, we probably see that entire offense take a step back, but not that big of a step back. I think it will be in the same vicinity of where it has been, uh, or at least what we saw last year. Yeah, that's a perfect segue for what we're going to talk about next, actually, with red zone and end zone targets. Um, because wait, wait, we got to take a break first. <laughs> All right, we got to take a quick Build commercial break. <laughs> when we come back into the red into the red zone, the green zone, the end zone, right after this on fantasy football today.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, Jacob, take us to the red zone. So we could simply see Philadelphia throw away more touchdowns. Um, based off of Matt's point, like the offense as a whole could regress, the efficiency and the scoring as a whole could regress, but the ratio of passing to rushing touchdowns could change dramatically. Um, they had, Philly had the third lowest pass rate win in the red zone last year, like tied with Atlanta and just above Chicago. The very, very bottom. Like, we're talking about how Chicago and Atlanta's offenses really aren't replicable. Like, teams never do this. They're bound to throw more. Philadelphia was there when it came to throwing in the red zone. Um, They only threw 11 passing touchdowns in the red zone. And these things even out year over year. They're going to probably continue to be a run-heavy team, of course. But, like, if Jalen keeps getting better and they keep trusting him more, we could see what we saw with Lamar Jackson a a few years ago where all of a sudden these rushing touchdowns turn into passing touchdowns, and it could be huge for A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. Yeah, I, I don't know if you guys... Yes, and that's... All right, I want to make a broader point about the Eagles offense, and that, that would be that they don't throw the ball a ton, obviously. I think they were like 20th in pass attempts last year. And I've said this before, I've said it with you know the guys I normally do the show with. So Pat and Matt, I'd like to get your thoughts on this. When you think about the teams where we are drafting two wide receivers in the first 30 picks... Um, talking about the Dolphins, the Bengals, and the Eagles. And then the other two teams, you're not drafting a tight end, maybe at all. If you are, it's really late. Um, you know, the Eagles, you're drafting Goddard. I don't know, it's going to be like sixth round or so, something like that, top five tight end in ADP. And they just don't throw the ball that much. So I do wonder if they're going to have to throw more touchdowns, like Jacob was saying, to justify the ADP for all of those players, or if we're just gonna, if one of those guys is just gonna be a huge bust or something, I, I don't know how you, I find that to be an interesting projection because you need like extreme efficiency, like you got from Jalen Hurts, to make it work. I think because they just they just don't throw the ball that much. And I would also I've pointed this out: the first nine games of the season before Dallas Goddard's injury, Devontae Smith was number thirty-five per game. He was wide receiver thirty-five. He didn't take off until after the injury. So I, I, you know, I think there's a lot of interesting parts there. Matt, what do you think about the Eagles' offense and and this? And we'll carry in this uh, red zone discussion. Maybe they will throw more touchdowns there. Yeah, so they could throw more touchdowns. It would be hard for them to throw fewer touchdowns than they had last year. So I do think that that could be a a source of hidden production for the wide receivers. But yeah, Adam, I'm a hundred percent taking your point there, where. You have two wide receivers who are going near the top of the draft. You've got a strong tight end. You've got a pass-catching running back in DeAndre Swift 
who right. people really right. seem to like and think like, oh, this is a guy who's going to produce in this offense. But we still have to admit it's a run heavy scheme. And like Jalen Hurts is one of the best quarterback sneaking runners that we have out there, especially near the goal line. So uh, I think if you're investing in it, like you can say, AJ Brown is great. Devontae Smith is great. Goddard is great. Um, and maybe there's room for one of them. It's hard to know which one is actually going to be the guy who who pays off or maybe strongly outproduces his draft position. Um, so like if you're thinking about who to draft at value, it actually is pretty hard to know. I feel like Dallas Goddard is going to once again be the take one for the team guy as far as touchdown totals. Like he's never had more than five in a season. What we like about him is that he's actually the rare big play tight end. Like Mm -hmm. his, his yards per catch looks more like a wide receiver than a tight end. His yards per target. It has been over 10 in each of the last two years, which is He's kind so of crazy for a tight end. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he just he doesn't score touchdowns for whatever reason. Yeah, Goddard's the guy I end up never getting. He's like insanely good at football, but I, I have a hard time projecting it for him if the touchdowns aren't there. Jacob, what We're, else uh, from the red zone or green zone or end zone do you want us to know? Yeah, so I wanted to just bring up the Chiefs. Um, obviously, we know how insane it is over there, <laughs> but um, they're, they're the perfect combination of like insanely high volume and insanely... Um, high pass rate. So last year, the red zone pass rates, the top five, we've got Tampa Bay at 67. That's probably going to change a lot this year. Um, I'm actually kind of excited for Rashad White, but that's a topic for another day. Uh, Minnesota Vikings, 63% um, red zone pass rate. Kansas City at 60, the Rams at 60, and the Chargers at 59. Compare that to, like we brought up Philadelphia, Atlanta, Chicago, all the way down at 33%. Um, and the result is Kansas City produced 107 red zone targets. Travis Kelsey had 30 red zone (laughs) targets and the like Panthers and bears and giants, sorry, Adam, uh, were all below 40. So like Kelsey almost had as many as them by himself. Um, and I just, I, I think the point I wanted to make with Kansas city specifically is I think the Rasheed rice is being underdrafted. Um, and just, this is just kind of a thing. I feel I've got as a Kansas city guy, the more I've listened to Brett Veach and the team talk, about his fit, they they compare him to Juju. Um, and I think that that makes sense. In his first two years in college, he was a slot guy, a big slot guy, and they moved to the perimeter last year. But he actually wasn't that great when facing um, press coverage, man coverage. He, he didn't do the perimeter receiver things you'd expect um, from a prospect that got drafted that high um, at the collegiate level. Like normally they dominate man coverage. Um, he was much better. He was much more comfortable in the slot, but he did play in two receiver sets. And I think that that may be the way Kansas City uses him. We've got all this curious Tony hype, but like we have struggled to see him ever stay on the field. And Sky Moore has not been the guy in two receiver sets. Um, so I don't know, like, is anyone buying him or do we just wait for DeAndre Hopkins to get signed and it's irrelevant? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's like uh, the thing that's lurking here that anything we say, uh, DeAndre Hopkins could sign this afternoon and uh, just blow up any any takes on this. But, um, man, like uh, I can see that case for Rasheed Rice. But, man, I'm just kind of excited about Kadarius Tony, And it's just been his ability to draw targets. And I mean, like for his career, he has played 445 regular season snaps and has drawn 77 targets. So he has been targeted on 70, 17.3% of all his snaps. And that includes running plays. Like when that guy is on the field, he draws targets. And like, I don't want to be a, a Pollyanna about his 
ability to stay healthy, like the odds of of Kadarius Tony playing 17 games are maybe you know, slightly better than the odds of me being People Magazine's sexiest <laughs> man alive for 2023. But um, still, though, if, if he can give us something close to a, a full season of good health, like I'm, I'm just excited to see how it's going to look there. And I know he's not going to be a 90% snap guy. Like it's probably not prudent as, as frail as he is, but um, man, I, I'm excited about what that could look like if he did stay somewhat healthy. Past two seasons, the only receivers with a higher target run rate than Kadarius Tony are Cooper Cup, Devontae Adams, and Tyreek Hill. So like, yeah, we absolutely need to bring him up on the advanced stat episode um, because yeah, like we just talked about with all these red zone targets available, like it could get out of control with Tony. Wide range of outcome, massively yeah, as wide, wide as range it gets. of outcomes. Because yeah, like the the advanced metrics look good, but I always go back to like uh, route run data on this. You know, mm-hmm. like he played five snaps in the Super Bowl. You know, like that's the most important game of the of the year. You know, like you, you got Kadarius Tony for this reason, uh, and they didn't use him nearly as much as they probably could have. And, and you know, like there were some circumstances as to like why you could explain they're not using him as much as they could, and maybe you think they use him more this year. It's certainly, they use him more than five snaps per game this year, but they did draft a wide receiver in round two last year. They followed that up by drafting Rasheed Rice in round two this year. Like they brought back Justin Watson, not like Justin Watson's going to still snap, but like it's to say that I don't think Kadarius Tony is locked in as like the true number one wide receiver in that offense. It feels a little bit like a Percy Harvin situation where even if he's reaching his best case scenario, he is a rotational player that mm. they bring in. Mm. Now, at one point this offseason, I had Travis Kelsey as my number one overall pick. I'm not there anymore. I'm somewhere between like two and four. But all, especially that red zone stuff. I mean, <laughs> I just feel like the, the, he had 30 red zone targets, you said, Jacob. I mean, yeah. end zone, green zone, red zone. I can't imagine Kelsey's not going to be among the leaders. And, uh, you know, Juju was, it didn't hurt Kelsey or anything like that, but he was, became the clear number one wide receiver on the team before his concussion. I know this whole argument to me is make, maybe just making me more excited about Travis Kelsey. I, I can't take him over Justin Jefferson, but I mean, he's easy, a top, easily a top five pick for me, probably a top three pick for me. Yeah. I, I, it's easy to put him there. I think that makes sense. And I'm glad that we're like finally doing it as an industry, giving Kelsey the respect that he deserves. Now that he's super old, <laughs> we're going to get him as soon as he starts breaking down, right? Yeah. I wanted to end with these. Um, so this is something that I measure. It's the percentage of um, each player's team's red zone and end zone targets that they draw while they're on the field. Um, and mostly I wanted to bring this up because we get so excited about Christian Watson and he stands out really um, clearly in all these. The other guy um, we've talked about with Philadelphia's offense improving is A.J. Brown. So A.J. Brown is fourth here with a 36% of Philly's targets win in the red zone. And if you look at the end zone targets, he had the highest in the league, 55%. Um, D.K. Metcalf was the next at 49%. So clearly there for him. Um, and he really didn't score a ton of touchdowns last year. So I, I think um, it could be just a massive explosive year for him. The other guy I wanted to highlight was DK Metcalf. So Metcalf is somebody I'm a little bit concerned with. His per route data has not been um, very encouraging the last few years. He's been targeted much, much more. Um, It seems like they've wanted to make him this wide receiver one, but the the efficiency has not followed. Um, Only 997 yards in 2021, of course. 
but he was somebody they locked onto in the red zone last year. And if this offense ends up um, being significantly better, which I think people are really bullish on this team, I think Jason could really help them a lot. Like he is somebody who also could really surprise people. And I'm, I'm just curious what you guys think about DK. Cause he's really one of the most polarizing players for me early on in the evaluation process. Yeah. Pat, you want to jump in? Yeah. I mean, uh, man, the guy is just uh, such a physical marvel. Like I've, I've always wanted to be in on him, but I am starting to get a little concerned about some of the efficiency numbers and just obviously the addition of JSN and, and what that could mean to uh, DK's share of the pie. I think uh, that's fair. I second what, what Fitz said on Metcalf. The guy who actually stands out to me looking on this list is Garrett Wilson because yes. we see we see Christian Watson near the top of the board there. And, you know, you see Devontae Adams as a guy who was on this list this past year and, you know, was near the top of the league uh, in previous seasons with Aaron Rodgers throwing to him. And now you have Garrett Wilson coming off a super studly first year, entering his second year. Uh, you know, maybe a better offensive coordinator situation, definitely a better quarterback situation with Aaron Rodgers now there. And it feels like if there is a, a wide receiver who is going to get the Devonte Adams treatment from Aaron Rodgers, it's mm-hmm. going to be Garrett Wilson. And maybe we see Garrett Wilson, even if he stays at, you know, 34% of red zone targets for his team we would still see him progress in his second season. But if that number shoots up to something like 38%, uh, 42%, I mean, man, we could be talking about a guy who has 13, 1400 yards and 12 touchdowns. This yeah. actually, Jacob, is, brings up two of my favorite statistics. I think people have heard me say them enough. I'm sorry, but Pat and Matt probably have not. So I will say, first of all, DK Metcalf has been top four in end zone targets every year of his career. Mm-hmm. That's the first stat. And the second stat is about Aaron Rodgers and how he just falls in love with one player near the end zone every year. From 2012 to 2021, in those 10 seasons, a Green Bay wide receiver ranked top 10 in green zone targets in seven of the 10 seasons, top six in green zone targets in four of the of the 10 seasons. So what happened last year, the first half of the year, Alan Lazard was fifth in, in uh, green zone targets or red zone targets, sorry. Um, and in the second half of the year, Christian Watson was fifth in red zone targets and second in green zone targets. Lazard was sixth in green zone targets in the first half of the year. So he did it again, Rodgers, in 2022. He just did it with a different number one receiver because Watson was kind of in and out of the lineup the first half of the year. Then Lazard got hurt and Watson took over. But that's just what he does. And it's basically 11 years, almost every single year where it's happening. So... I, I thought that was, you know, really interesting and just plays well for for Garrett Wilson, who already was doing that last year with the Jets and now um, could be an even better situation for him, believe it or not. Yeah, I'm really glad you bring that up. The tendency that Rodgers has to lock in on a guy in the red zone. And I think Wilson just fits that perfectly. Um, so he became the first rookie um, in 10 years that I have the data to hit both a 30 percent um, share of his team's targets in the red zone when he was on the field and a 40 percent share of their air yardage or of their uh, end zone target, sorry, when he was on the field. Um, so he was fifth in end zone target um, share and seventh in uh, red zone target share. Um, I think he he fits really well with what Rogers likes to do with the quick throws as well. Um, he was targeted at one of the highest rates last year on throws that happened um, in under two seconds. And Joe Flacco is somebody who like actually profiles almost exactly like Rogers in terms of his tendencies. He's either doing quick throws or long throws. 
Um, and when Joe Flacco was on the field, Garrett Wilson drew the types of target rates that Matt alluded to, you know, if he has the potential to get up to this 42% rate or whatever, you know, we're just talking about hypotheticals. But when we saw him with Flacco, he was at those rates. Um, his rates were dragged way, way down by his time with Zach Wilson. Um, but when he was with Flacco, who plays just like Rogers, he was just feeding him on those quick targets. I think, I think it's possible he could just absolutely explode. Um, the, all the numbers back it up perfectly. So are you guys going to take Garrett Wilson or, or Devontae Smith or T Higgins? Who's your favorite in that group? Wilson easily for me. Same. Yeah. Okay. How about, how about AJ Brown or Garrett Wilson? That's really tough. I think I've got AJ one spot higher right now. Yeah, I think so too. That's really tough. I have Garrett Wilson one spot higher than AJ Brown. I think that one's pretty close to a coin flip. Okay. Before we leave, Pat and Matt, do you have, sorry for putting you on the spot here, but I feel like you probably have this, a 2023 wide receiver sleeper or breakout that you'd like to share? Fitz, you go first. Oh, man. Hmm. Uh, so I like Tony was probably going to be my guy, but like another possibility, and I hate to do it just because, um, you know, depth chart stuff, but like Traylon Burks. Um, and, and the fact that, you know, he had been sort of a, a schemed touches guy when he was in college at Arkansas, but uh, his average depth of target last year was like, uh, what was it, 11.9 or something like that. So he was operating deeper downfield. Um, and I'm just kind of optimistic that uh, if he can stay healthy, he's going to be sort of a, a potential target hog for Tennessee, a, a team that's probably going to be digging itself a lot of holes and playing from behind quite a lot, a lot of pass friendly game script. So, um, you know, Burks isn't really a sleeper, but I think he could be a value in the, uh, you know, early to mid rounds. I'm super excited for Traylon Burks. I would bring up, he wasn't targeted in the red zone at all last year. He had one of the lowest rates. I talked about the percentage of the targets they drew while on the field in the red zone. His was only 18%. And I heard Hayden Winks talk about Traylon Burks and just the fact that like, he struggled to get into the offense early on. He was injured and they were like things that he was messing up. And just Mike Vrabel is somebody who is not going to make that player a feature part of his offense, not going to make a rookie who's struggling with the mental side of the game, a feature part of his offense. Um, but I think it's entirely possible that with more time, in the system now he's ready to be that. And that's really exciting because like Pat talked about the per route stuff we saw last year from him was pretty good even though he basically was just thrown out there and being like told, like, just go produce, just go get open. There were times where they're running just one receiver plays where it was just like, go get open Traylon against Green Bay. And it was working. Yeah. Like he's got the talent and they really might scheme things to him a lot more in year two. All um, right. I have a couple yeah. of players, I guess three players that I would want to mention. So deep down, and we talked about him earlier, uh, Rashid Shahid. You know, as an undrafted rookie last year, he did really well in, I think, pretty negative circumstances in New Orleans. This year, you know, more of a professional pocket passing quarterback in Derek Carr. Um, You know, yes, Michael Thomas is returning. So there's a question about volume, but I think Shahid with his field stretching skill set. You know, he it's a cop out to say, like, he's the best ball player because, you know, like everyone's basically best ball. Player. But like he actually is the true best ball player where um, if he scores a touchdown, you know, it's probably being accompanied by 70 yards. So he's someone that you get really late down the board who's intriguing to me in the best ball format. Quinton Johnston, uh, you know, the rookie with the Chargers out of TCU. He's going to have target competition if Keenan Allen and Mike Williams stay healthy. 
that said, Keenan Williams, I mean, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, they're not like the healthiest guys. They, I would say like, it's probably fair to say that they are injury prone at this point. And you do have Keenan Allen who is, uh, you know, past the age apex. So Quentin Johnston feels like someone that you can get, um, you know, like outside of the top 40 wide receivers who like has a path to significant upside through just, you know, kind of found targets paired with a quarterback who is really good uh, and can throw the ball downfield. And maybe there's some extra synergy with them having a new offensive coordinator as well, who can help unlock that offense. And then one more guy, I mentioned him earlier, Gabe Davis, like he feels like a, like a post hype value uh, because it's still a great offense. Maybe Dalton Kincaid doesn't take over the world the way that people think he's going to as this slot hybrid tight end. Um, and Stefan Diggs, obviously awesome, but like there's enough production within that offense to go around where Diggs could still be a like a very strong number one wide receiver. And Gabe Davis as a guy who's going like outside the top 36 could still significantly outproduce his ADP. Oh yeah, love it. Very clearly, I think, affected by the Josh Allen elbow injury last year. Um, if you look at the numbers. All right. Thank you guys very much. It was great to have you on Matt. Best of luck to you in your future endeavors. Thank you, (laughs) Pat. Thank you. Always great to have you on. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. And Friedman, you're such a TCU Homer. I knew you were going to work in a Quentin Johnston (laughs) endorsement. That's not fair. (laughs) And, uh, Jacob looks like you are kind of a sleeper to be uh, people magazine's sexiest man alive. Busted out the tank tops every show. I love it. Uh, This has been Beyond the Box Score. We'll have another episode for you uh, some point soon. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. Talk to you later on Fantasy Football Today. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.